Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Good morning, Dr. Paul. We are still remote today. <laughs> still remote, and I guess that's because the election is still remote. <laughs> They're still uh, trying to count the votes. Of course, we were commenting a few minutes ago. How is it that Florida did a pretty good job counting their votes? And they 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 must be lazy people. They just wanted to go home when you count the votes, go home. But in in a place like Arizona, oh, they like to be they like to socialize and take their time and make sure everything is right <laughs> for a certain group. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. We have. Uh, in Florida, I think 11 million population, I could be wrong, in Florida, I mean, in Arizona has about a little over half that. How is it that Florida is able to have a, a result that same night? But places like Arizona and elsewhere, there's no end in sight to the counting. And every second that it takes to count extra time uh, is a second that people should be concerned about cheating because it happens. Right. You know, I'm going to start off with a quick report because it's, uh, to me, a, a special report because it caught my attention. But we have a program that we're going to deal with in foreign policy and a little bit more on the election. But I wanted to mention the CPI report today because uh, it, it didn't look like much just on paper, but the markets interpreted it as a significant drop in CPI and type of inflation. So they were very excited about it. And I think, uh, I don't know where the Dow is right now, but it was up eight, 900 points. But the interesting thing is the interpretation. You know, a few weeks ago, the CPI went up and uh, that meant that uh, rates would, uh, the, the, the Fed would push the rates up and that would help the dollar. And so what did that do to gold? It pushed it to a gold down. And I said, but the CPI was higher. Why wouldn't you interpret this as, as gold going up? But uh, they're looking at the immediate thing. They're trading. They're looking at what the Fed's going to do one hour from now and, and tomorrow. But today it was sort of the opposite of that. The uh, C CPI was slightly lower. And they said, oh, no, less inflation, which uh, isn't true at all. But immediately the market interpreted that way because they thought, well, the rates are going to go down. So the stock market skyrocketed. And uh, then uh, they uh, said, that, well, that that will, uh, uh, I mean, the, the rates went down. So they thought, well, this will help, the, this will hurt the dollar. So then what did gold do? It went up. So it actually, actually, the gold price was inversely uh, acting uh, against the CPI. And that's why, you know, once in a while, sorting this out is, is a job. And I just want to remind our viewers that if they'd like to get a free package uh, talking about gold and other investment, they can go to birchgold.com slash Ron, and you can get a free package of information that uh, talks about gold and other investments. So you can, you might try that and to help sort this out. That would be birchgold.com slash Ron. But now, Daniel, we want to get into our main subject for today, and uh, we want to talk about, uh, you know, the politics of, uh, of foreign policy, because there is a headline on anti-war that caught our attention, and it says, uh, Ukrainian lawmakers to send delegation to the United States to meet with newly elected members of Congress. You, you know, when, if you were just not into this and just were 
out of it for a year or two and you read the headline what in thunder are the ukrainians lawmakers doing coming to me with I, we said we don't even know where ukraine is and what are they coming over here for they want some they want some help or what's going on but they want to meet with the with the congressman but uh, quite frankly, Daniel, I think they're coming over here to get, per, you know, personal attention from the lobbyists, the deep state, the military industrial complex, because it's all one unit. And we know that. And it really is a, a sign and symbol of us being very much involved in foreign policy to the extent that we shouldn't be doing this. But they're coming over and they're going to talk to our guys. And, you know, there, there are, uh, you know, some signs that American people are getting tired of this war, but there's still the votes occur. And when we look at the votes and they look at the leadership of the two parties, they're still very strong for intervention. And it doesn't look like in the next week or two, they're going to say, oh, you know, that Daniel McAdams and Ron Paul, they're right. We're coming home. I don't think that's going to happen, Daniel. No, it's an army of beggars and thieves that are coming to steal money. And the irony of it, which should outrage Americans, uh, is that the, this trip will be paid for by the American taxpayer. We are, we are underwriting the entire country of Ukraine. Some $67 billion has been authorized to spend uh, on Ukraine. So they're flying here on our dime to meet with our members of Congress, demanding that our members of Congress take more of our money to send to them. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I've been through this, Dr. Paul, and you know how it works, and I'll tell our viewers how it works. You know, Ukraine, apparently, from what I've read, employs some hundred lobbyists to work Washington, D.C. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to get a call. A member's office is going to get a call from a lobbyist. They're going to say, I've got some constituents from your district that would like to meet with the congressman. And they say, of course. And they're going to bring in these constituents who are basically, um, basically wallpaper for what's really going to happen, which is going to be a Ukrainian member of Congress, I mean, a, a member of Ukrainian parliament or what have you, is going to come in and start, start strong-arming the member for more money. So the, the outrage of it, Dr. Paul, is again using our money to demand more of our money. It's an absolute scandal. But they're worried, even though the red wave didn't materialize, and you and I didn't have any confidence that a real red wave would, be, would, would result in fiscal sanity in D.C., especially on foreign policy. And nevertheless, they got to dot all of their I's and cross all their T's to make sure that everyone's on the hook to continue funding this international welfare state. And I guess you would agree, business as usual, nothing really has changed. And they're lining up their docs. It reminds me of when I was sworn into Congress, I think in 1997, uh, the Republican Party had, uh, you know, a, uh, an announcement to me. They invited me to a breakfast as some of my constituents wanted uh, to meet me. So, of course, I went. But it turned out that it, they were the national uh lobbyists for the banking system and <laughs> it was a boring breakfast uh but i wasn't rude but it never went back <laughs> it, made, it made no sense at all but that's the way it starts uh, new members uh are treated that way but i it is sort of uh, pr pretty shocking that the ukrainian lawmakers are, are coming over to sending somebody to, to meet with these people but we know exactly why they do it yeah uh, 
but you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the cracks in the wall with the Democrats, the progressives, uh, you know, having stuck to their guns and yet they announced one time they, uh, you know, uh, wanted, wanted to back off from the policy and, and challenge the Democratic leadership. But you know, that sort of faded, but we have Republicans that are starting to challenge it, but we have a lot of people in this country. Uh, we can find statistics and, and uh, people who are taking a bold stand, some of the candidates, hopefully we've sorted out and find out where they really come down on. You, uh, you, there's people who are starting to challenge and there may be, maybe they don't wanna wait another 10 or 20 years for the war to get disgustingly uh, expensive, both in life and limb. So I think this is, uh, it's good when we can find it, but the one that I wanna bring up right now is, uh, and this comes from NPR, well, good. Um, Italy has been a strong supporter of Ukraine, but that is starting to change. So that's maybe a good sign. Uh, you know, eventually uh, all this empire building and this collusion and all this agitation and wars in general, and with that for, by economic factor. It's not because all of a sudden uh, only good people get into government, the lobbyists back off and they uh, take an oath that they have sworn a new life and, uh, and things get better. That, that doesn't happen, it happens economically. And right now the people, you know, we notice that some of our people here at home are hurting more than uh, some people want to admit, but they are. But in Europe, actually things are, are, are worse, you know, and yet, yet they're acting in a bizarre uh, manner. So this article, Daniel, that I'm mentioning, it says that the people there uh, are starting to change their attitude, and that may be a good sign. Yeah, I think that I think the article said there's only like something like 40 percent support. So and that's across the board. People are not in favor of it. And it is primarily for economic reasons. Uh, there is a new Italian government, the new Italian prime minister. She has dedicated herself to continuing to support Ukraine. But a lot of that is fluffy language. You know, the from what I heard and I, and I got a note from Colonel McGregor this morning that the Italians are not going to send any more military equipment to Ukraine. Uh, they're going to urge for a peaceful resolution. The other thing is that there's a 50 billion pound hole in the British budget right now. It was just discovered by the new British prime minister. And from what I've been listening to, some of that, it's got, they've got to cover that hole. They can't necessarily just print money like we do. Uh, so some of that is going to have to be covered. Uh, and what I've heard is they're going to have to reduce their military spending for Ukraine. So there might be just the dollars and cents that make it untenable. But one other thing I wanted to mention about, about Dave DeCamp's piece on antiwar.com, Dr. Paul, is that, you know, we've been propagandized all along that this is a war for democracy. And if we don't fight for Ukraine, if we don't send billions and billions for Ukraine to defeat Russia, democracy will die. Well, thankfully, Dave DeCamp did add in his article a very important fact that you'll never see in the mainstream media which is this delegation of lawmakers will come from across the party spectrum in Ukraine. But guess what? All 11 opposition parties have been outlawed. So that's a one party state. The appearance of democracy, um, the for life and the opposition platform for life and 10 other opposition parties have been banned in Ukraine. Zelensky only allows people to compete in elections who support him. So the idea that this is a war for democracy is about as legitimate 
as uh, von der Leyen, the unelected, unelected European commissioner lecturing everyone else about democracy. This just shows the hypocrisy of the whole thing, Dr. Paul. Right. In Italy, there was a pretty big rally there. NPR reported on this and the uh, uh, demonstration was anti-war. Uh, it was it was advertised as that. And they did pretty well in getting a turnout, uh, 100,000 plus people. That's, that sounds like a lot of people are interested in it. But the uh, it says the title was good. Italians want the war to end. So it wasn't it wasn't just one of those items. Uh, I, I, we have people demonstrating in this country right now, but it, we're not, we don't have anti-war demonstrations. Uh, you know, because uh, 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 we, we haven't sent troops literally there that we admit to. But, uh, but the, the, the banners carried uh, to this uh, rally was peace, no, no to war, and stop sending weapons. Many protesters said sending weapons to Ukraine further fuels the conflict. Amazing. That's exactly what it does. And who sends the most weapons around the world for the longest period of time and spent more money on sending weapons than anybody else? It couldn't be the United States. I hope uh -huh. not, because we're going broke and I don't think we should spend that money over there. I think we ought to sort of spend a lot of that home in a way I'd let the way I'd spend it at home. It's just let the people keep their money if they earn it and let them decide how it should be spent. That sounds pretty good, Dr. Paul. Do you want to move on to uh, to the next article we're going to talk about, um, Jordan Schachtel's piece? Yes, because I think that's a great one, and we 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 always uh, appreciate Jordan's insights, and he has a great piece out today called "Balkanized Future: Midterms Deliver Victories for Both Free State Americans and Security State Americans." And in the piece, Dr. Paul, as you know, he makes some hard. Uh, he makes some hard statements about reality and things that we have to realize. And he, um, one point that he makes is that many Americans, if not most Americans, no longer value the foundational principle of liberty. Uh, and that's tough, to, that's tough to figure. That's tough to appreciate. But the fact is, it is there. And he said, the last years of COVID tyranny didn't showcase this enough. The midterms elections prove beyond a doubt that a significant chunk of Americans prefer prefer status tyranny over individual sovereignty. And he points out that all of the worst tyrants of COVID mania were reelected with ease. Gavin Newsom, 18 points. Gretchen Whitner, the one by 10 points. The New York governor uh, and Pritzker in Illinois, they all won. So the worst dictators have been reelected. And Jordan says, Dr. Paul, we've got to realize we've got to face reality as it is. Yes, and I I really like this article because I it brought brought back memories on what the country is supposed to be like when you have problems. They didn't the founders didn't expect uh, all the states always to be unanimous on everything they did. That's why they wanted them separate, and that's why they didn't believe in uh, pure democracy because uh, one big state could control all the rest of them. And here's an example of uh, individuals moving away. Yeah, and I think it's great. There's an immigration 
you know, from uh, places like New York down to Texas and Florida. But uh, of course, what we have to be careful, they kid about it, but I don't think, I, I think people have to remain vigilant because sometimes they leave and they're not true believers and they come and they want to reintroduce some of the ideas that ruined California and a few other places. But right now I don't see, I don't see any personal evidence of that, but that's usually has been said. But I think the immigration uh, and going back and forth is, is very good. I think the, uh, the founders meant it to be, and I think the founders did not like pure democracy where New York City and Chicago would run everything. But what they wanted was uh, uh, they, they wanted the individual states to take, deal with it. This is why they gave power to states that were very, very small in number. They get two senators. It doesn't make any sense. Why should they get two senators and New York get two senators? Well, for a very specific reason, because the founders detested uh, you know, the pure democracy. Yes, you can elect a leader here and there with a democratic election, but right now, the biggest problem we have now is getting honest elections. So the, the, uh, the, the demonstration of this, I think, is, is very clear. Uh, and uh, the Senate is the same way. You know, the Senate, up until the 17th Amendment, they were appointed by the states. The states were important, but uh, they consider that uh, very radical to talk like this. But I'll tell you what, it's very practical right now. The remnant of the Republic is acting in a way of trying to help uh, save our problem. But you know, the one thing that, uh, one thing that would ruin uh, the benefits coming from the uh, people moving to, to states that provide more liberty is the fact that we still have a monolith in Washington. We have an executive branch that can legislate without even having the Congress do it by just by executive orders. And they can, and they can manipulate the tax code and do all these things. So if, uh, if things get bad in California or worse in California and uh, things continue to improve in Texas and Florida, what are they going to do? They're going to just, the feds will raise their ta our taxes and send it to bail out those poor people who have been abused in California. And uh, that would be their compensation. So that's what we have to be alert to. But I still like what's happening. And this uh, whole idea of states have being a principal, uh, a principal unit of our government rather than the monolith. And uh, so I don't, Exactly. Uh, I'm not exactly pleased when I hear the loud chanting and the screaming. People who don't do what we do are they're 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 treasonous. They don't like democracy and, and that type of stuff. They don't like they don't what I always say. They don't understand liberty, and that's what we hope we can contribute to. Well, I think that's an important little bit of cold water that you've thrown on it, Dr. Paul. That no matter what happens with. Uh, with states with balkanization, and that's the second part of Jordan's piece, you still have the Fed tyranny uh, that's in Washington. You still have to deal with it. But as he points out in the second point in his article, that there are reasons for optimism because in the free states, and they are the free states, we would say freer states, um, pro-liberty or liberty-leaning candidates did very well. Ron DeSantis absolutely destroyed Charlie Crist. Uh, Beto O'Rourke was obliterated. Christy Noman, South Dakota, won by 62 to 35 percent. Uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia easily defeated a very well-funded Stacey Adams. And in Iowa, Kim Reynolds won by 19 points. And someone we both know, Rand Paul, 
absolutely wiped the floor with his opponent, beating him by 21 points. So in the states that we recognize as free or freer states, uh, the pro-freedom candidates are doing quite well. But what Jordan points out is this really underscores the need for increasing balkanization for what Tom Woods might call a national divorce. We can't live together anymore. We've got to figure out a way to separate ourselves, I think. Well, I, I, I certainly see some benefits coming from this. <clears throat> and from personal knowledge, I want to say that if you may want to make my son Rand happy, make sure he's in the majority by the time all the dust settles, because I think he's ready to go. But he's ready to go, and he will be after, because <clears throat> he's really been annoyed by the total abuse of how COVID uh, destroyed so many of our liberties. Yeah, and, and just the, the final point that Jordan makes, I think that's very important to remember. And I think a lot of Republicans understand this. This is one of the reasons why we might not have seen a red wave. Uh, his point number three is that the GOP is a soulless vessel for nothingness. And that's such a great point. He said, who is actually excited to elevate Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy into positions of power? What exactly is the GOP agenda other than to slow down the Biden administration agenda? So in other words, they literally stood for nothing. Are we supposed to be shocked that Americans weren't excited about voting Republican this time? Yeah, <clears throat> no, it, it was a surprise to some people, but not, not a total surprise uh, for a lot. <clears throat> and uh, and then we also have to be uh, at least considerate to the opinion that, uh, you know, no matter what happens, we end up with the same policy. And that is that is the big problem. What happens to policy? You know, even with a more favorable turnout, are we going to see the end of our foreign intervention? Are we going to bring our troops home? Are we going to audit and, and work on getting rid of the Federal Reserve? Are we going to actually have one dollar's worth of cut in real spending, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. So uh, that's why we have a lot of work to do. I think we have to do it. The working place is uh, in, in government and politics because there's a forum and there's a platform. But eventually, we have to be able to define and clarify and get a whole generation of individuals to understand exactly what liberty is all about and what the intentions were of the founders when they wrote the Constitution. Because we have drifted a long way, but then we, we come across so many things that are positive when we work with young people and when, when we work with the groups that we have our, uh, our, here, you know, our, our meetings with and our and many conventions and, and what the Mises Institute has done. That to me is where it has to happen. People have to change the ideas. Ideas have consequences. And an idea says whose time has come, you know, cannot be stopped. Armies can't stop ideas. And uh, that's what uh, that's what I tell myself, because I, I believe in it. And I also believe the fact that it's leadership that's most important because, uh, you, you know, that 51% is the result of good leadership, but the leadership, uh, you don't have to wait until you have 51% say, oh yeah, we want the gold standard and then you're going to have it. That's not the way it works, but you have to get people to realize that the ideas are so, so important. And the one thing, Dr. Paul, that I think is very obvious is that no one is going to take care of us, especially those of us 
uh, in the so-called red states or freedom states. We've got to take care of ourselves. And I just want to say once again, uh, the sponsor of this show was someone who helps you take care of yourself, which is 4patriots.com, the number 4patriots.com. And what they provide is survival food that lasts for 25 years. All you need to do is add water, boil it, and feed your family. We've got to be sure that we're self-sufficient in all aspects of our lives. We've got inflation out of control. We've got problems with supply chains. So 4patriots.com is an American company. Some of their profits go to help U.S. veterans. Uh, and the good news is you can get 10% off your first order by going to 4patriots, the number 4patriots.com. Enter in the code RON, R-O-N, for 10% off your first order and free shipping on all orders over $97. It's a great way to take care of yourself and your family. Dr. Paul? Yes, and I'm going to close now, uh, and I'm going to mention the, uh, the election process that's going on. And I anticipated that there would be a lot of chaos, but actually I thought it would be more chaotic than we currently have, but it's not over yet. And uh, of course, I think it looks like it's going to drag on until the election occurs in Georgia for the for the runoff, and that that is real important for the practicalities of of uh, who's going to be immediately abusing our liberties or protecting our liberties. So it is very very important. But I think that uh, you know overall. Uh, I, I think that we can be pleased that we're still able to talk about these things. I still am concerned about our First Amendment rights to be able to speak out and that uh, there's a movement toward this. So our one of our biggest enemies for getting our information out is the collusion between corporate corporations and government, the corporatism in this system. We've already talked about it many, many times about how the pharmaceuticals are involved in that. And of course, the military industrial complex. And tragically for us, that's bipartisan. So, but the ideas have to be changed and that's what we're gonna keep working on because I truly believe that when people have the right information, I think they will prefer liberty and you will see more of the uh, changes of an attitude like we talked about today in Italy where people actually say, we're, we wanna have a peace party. And uh, we, we're, uh, I would say that they're more vocal about that than our people in this country. Anyway, I want to thank all our viewers today for tuning into the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.